Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, January 30th, 2022. Welcome to The Way, R122 Ministry Live, The Way Radio Live. Glad you are here and able to join us. And if you're listening to the podcast, thank you for listening and please consider sharing it. Uh, Today we continue in the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 2 and we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 16. So let's pray and we will get right into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we're able to uh, gather here together each Sunday at a distance, brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I just ask that you would uh, do a mighty work through your word today, Lord, that we would uh, be blessed with the truths of the gospel and we would be edified and strengthened through it. And for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would just touch their hearts, open their eyes, Uh, to the truth of the gospel, and draw them to truth and faith in Jesus Christ, your Son. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the title of the message again is Hypocrisy and the Gospel, Galatians 2, 11 through 16. So let's read that to get started. Galatians 2, 11 through 16 says, But when Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Back to my notes here. Psalm 25.8 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he will teach sinners in the way. And Charles Spurgeon comment on this verse is, I'm quoting Spurgeon here, It is no less true than wonderful that through the atonement, The justice of God pleads as strongly as his grace for the salvation of sinners whom Jesus died to save. Moreover, as a good man naturally endeavors to make others like himself, so will the Lord our God in his compassion bring sinners into the way of holiness and conform them to his own image. Thus, the goodness of of our God leads us to expect the reclaiming of sinful men. We may not conclude from God's goodness that he will save those sinners who continue to wander in their own ways, but we may be assured that he will renew transgressors' hearts and guide them into the way of holiness. Let those who desire to be delivered from sin take comfort from this. God himself will condescend to be the teacher of sinners. What a ragged school is this for God to teach in. God's teaching is practical, and he teaches sinners not only the doctrine, but the way. And I wanted to preface the message with that because that's really what we're being blessed with today is a very important and powerful teaching 
in how we are to grow in sanctification and to live as Christian believers in this dark and sinful world. The hypocrisy of Peter and Paul's in-your-face response is a portion of Scripture that comes across as a bit shocking to the Christian spirit that's accustomed to meditating on love, forgiveness, and unity in the faith. Why was Peter being hypocritical, and why did Paul oppose him in such a blatant and seemingly public manner? This is one of those portions of scriptures that people have often been uh, baffled by when they're reading it, because it just seems like Paul is being very abrasive uh, and maybe a little bit overbearing in the way he addresses this issue with Peter. But as I, as you'll see as we go through this message, I think Paul, obviously Paul, did exactly what need, he needed to do in this situation, and you'll see why. Now, first of all, Paul was not speculating about what Peter had done, and the issue was not a matter of opinion or conflict of personalities. Paul was certain of Peter's error, which is why he uses such strong wording in verse 11 by stating that he opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. Paul had witnessed Peter being hypocritical, and he knew he needed to address this error. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a bit of a sinus issue today. Now, Galatians 2.11 again says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So Paul gets in Peter's face about what Peter was doing and the hypocrisy that he was engaging in. According to Acts 11, 19 and 20, there was a large Jewish community in Antioch and is the first place in the book of Acts that mentions Jewish Christians preaching the gospel to Gentiles. Also, it is likely that the church in Antioch was the first church to send missionaries into other areas to preach the gospel specifically to Gentiles. So think about how much damage could have been done to the church at large if missionaries from Antioch were spreading a false gospel everywhere they went, especially this early in the history of the church. Think about that. This is the very beginning of the church, the church in Antioch, from what we can tell is the first church preaching to Gentiles and sending out missionaries to Gentiles. If they had been sending out missionaries who were preaching a false gospel, what would that maybe have done to the church at large? What kind of problems would it have caused? How many people may have been led astray by that false gospel message? Now, I'll put this in a modern context. I recently saw an example of the destruction that a false gospel can cause. I saw a photo online of an apostle, and I put that in um, quotes, being sarcastic. I saw a photo of an online apostle in Africa burning his Bible in public because he had been challenged by a Muslim to heal someone supernaturally as the apostle had been claiming he had the ability to do. The apostle failed at his attempts to heal someone, so he renounced his faith, which he never had in the first place, obviously, and burned his Bible in public. Because this man called himself an apostle, and folks understand there are no modern apostles. The apostles were appointed by Christ personally to establish the church. But because this man called himself an apostle and claimed to have the power of healing, I would venture to guess that the gospel he was following was probably from the word of faith or prosperity gospel movement that is spreading like a plague across Africa. 
Think of how many times similar scenes are taking place around the world because people are led astray by a false gospel. Folks, this is a huge problem around the world right now. The Word of Faith movement, the prosperity gospel, the charismatic movement, um, these circuses that call themselves churches like Bethel uh, are doing horrific damage, especially in, in poorer third world developing nations uh, in places all over Africa. I see it in Kenya constantly. And I can tell you on Facebook, I get invitations from people, uh, friend requests from people all the time from Africa, mainly from Africa, that claim to be prophets, apostles, whatever it is. I never accept them because I know uh, the kind of stuff that they're going to try to, you know, put across. And I really don't spend any time on Facebook anymore anyway. But be very wary of what is happening through these teachings and the damage that is being caused. If this man had been a true believer and he had heard the true gospel and come to true faith in Jesus Christ, he would have never engaged in such a thing. He would be preaching the gospel rather than making false claims that he had supernatural, some supernatural ability to, to, to heal people. So this is a very big problem. And it relates, you'll see how it relates very closely to what Paul was worried about in this instance that we're looking at today. So what did Peter do wrong? How was Peter being hypocritical? Let's look at verses 12 and 13. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now understand, it says, for certain men came from James. I think what they're referring to there is they came from the church in Jerusalem that they were trying to infect with false teachings, of which James was a leader. James did not send these guys to preach a false gospel. He was a solid disciple of Christ. He was actually the physical brother of Christ. But consider that the hypocrisy we see here, this is important, cannot be committed by an unbeliever, and the message here is only relevant to Christians. You cannot understand this hypocrisy that we're looking at today unless you understand the message of the gospel and consider it from that context. In his book, Galatians, A Supernatural Justification, Douglas Van Dorn defines hypocrisy as the state of pretending to have beliefs, opinions, virtues, feelings, qualities, or standards that one does not actually have. Peter was pretending to believe what the Pharisees required through legalism, but he actually did not. <clears throat> Excuse me, Peter was a believer. He very strongly believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, but his hypocrisy lay in where he acted like he was agreeing with what the Pharisees were saying when he actually didn't. Quite simply, Peter gave in to peer pressure and the fear of what powerful unbelievers might think about him, and possibly even what they might do to him. This error of Peter's was made the worst because if you remember in Acts 10, Peter had been given a heavenly vision showing him that all food is good to eat, and was then led by the Lord to preach the gospel to the Gentile centurion Cornelius. Acts 10, 44 and 45 says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was, was poured out even on the Gentiles. 
So Peter especially had a very strong reason to not give in to pressure and criticism from the circumcision party regarding his sharing meals with uncircumcised Gentiles. Peter, of all people, it's surprising that he would give in to the pressure from the Pharisees with his past experiences, to be given this vision three times from heaven, showing that all, all food is given by God, all food is clean, and that the Gentiles and Jews are both blessed with the message of the gospel. But he still gave in to this pressure. And there's a big lesson in this for all believers. You have to ask yourself, will you stay the course when the heat is on and the world is pressuring you to move off of the narrow way? Will you hold firm to the true gospel message, live as we are told to live by the Spirit in Jesus Christ, or will you sway because of what the world's trying to pressure you to do? Very important question, especially in the times in which we live, when there is so much error and blatant outright attack against Christian doctrine. And so many people are just trapped in lies and using everything, every power that they can garner to try to force those who are in the truth to abandon it. So it's a very important question for us today. Now let's look at verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here Paul lays out Peter's hypocrisy. Peter had been living and eating like a Gentile, disregarding Mosaic regulation, but through the pressure and intimidation of the circumcision party, gave in to legalism and began acting as if Gentiles had to obey Mosaic regulations in order to be saved. Peter obviously didn't believe that the Gentiles had to obey Mosaic regulations in order to be saved, but he was acting as if he did. And if Peter, who experienced such profound visions, who walked with the Lord in person, could be swayed, then how diligent should we be in our praying for strength to persevere against the temptations that the dark side uses to draw us into hypocrisy? The dark side seems to identify a believer's weak spots and then exploit them at every opportunity. And looking back at Peter's life, it's easy to see that his weakness was standing against the pressure, influences, and insults of others. Again, Peter walked with Christ in the flesh, and they often ate with tax collectors and sinners. Yet Peter still gave in to the pressure of the Pharisees when they did not approve of his eating with Gentiles later on. He was given a vision and a dream repeated three times that all food is given by God and is clean. He even preached a sermon in which he told the Jews that they must not consider Gentiles or their food unclean. When Christ was arrested and brought before the authorities, Peter went with him until he was confronted and accused of being a, a follower of Christ, and then he denied the Lord three times. So we're starting to see that weak point in Peter's character that Satan just relentlessly tried to exploit. So Peter had his weaknesses, as we all do. And Satan exploited Peter's weaknesses as he does to all believers. The lesson for us in this is to search ourselves, look back over our own histories and identify what the common weakness or weaknesses are that have caused us to move away from Christ and the narrow path he is leading us on. Then when by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are blessed to know where our weaknesses lie, we go to battle against them, succeeding at times and failing at others. But if we are truly striving to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, 
and fighting back against these weaknesses, we will mature and grow and blossom in the Lord, shining brighter and brighter with the light of his perfect holiness and glory. Now, the second question that I asked at the beginning was, why did Paul oppose Peter in such a blatant and seemingly public matter? Why was Paul so zealous about exposing what Peter was doing wrong and so severe in addressing it? Because he saw, and I'm quoting that verse, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. This is why Paul was so harsh in his rebuke of Peter. Because he saw that, and he uses the plural there, not he saw that Peter's conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That was obvious. But he uses the plural there because Barnabas and others had started to be led astray as well by this. Peter's hypocrisy contradicted the message of the gospel, and this corruption was spreading like a disease to others. The Lord had warned about this specific issue during his ministry. In Luke 12, 1, Jesus says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. He began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Paul's concern was the preservation of the truth of the message of the gospel, the purity of the gospel. And isn't it, isn't it interesting that Christ had specifically warned about this? And we see it acted out exactly in Galatians According to the warning of Christ, this false teaching of legalism was spreading like leaven already into the church. So Paul wanted to arrest it. By giving into the Pharisees' false teaching of legal requirements, according to the Mosaic law to be saved, Peter and the other believers who were being influenced, verse 13 says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. They were corrupting the message of the gospel by their actions, even though they believed the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Any attempt to add anything as a requirement for salvation beyond the work and person of Jesus Christ is a perversion of the gospel. Verses 15 and 16, Paul comes back to that gospel message. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He's not trying to be derogatory, but Jews historically considered themselves to be the holy people of God and those outside themselves, Gentiles, to, to be common sinners. It was just the way that they looked at them at that time. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The Reformation Study Bible says that verses 15 and 16 are central in Galatians and quite possibly are the epistle's thesis statement. Paul's point is that everyone, both Jew and Gentile, is placed in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But isn't it fascinating to see so much trouble and damage, so much pain and suffering caused because the nature of man is so depraved that it refuses to the point of its own destruction to simply believe and cling to the amazing gift of God's grace. Pride is so maliciously powerful that it clings to the fatal idea that salvation must rely on, at least to some measure, the power and capacity of man to achieve. It's a fascinating thing to consider. 
Consider the terrible power and control that is wielded over people who have been led by the workings of Satan into believing that salvation must be earned either completely or partially. People trapped in these false belief systems spend their lives under the lash of legalism, gradually being worn down and worn out without the peace, joy, and rest that is only found in the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Imagine spending your entire life in a religion like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or Roman Catholicism, where to different degrees, depending on which one of those false religions you're trapped in, your salvation depends on your own behavior. So you may go through periods where you feel like I'm living exactly as I should be living. I'm, I'm not sinning at all. I'm not doing anything wrong. I know that I'm assured of going to heaven, but there's always that voice in the back of your mind, that voice of question, because you know in your spirit that that's not true. And then you go through those periods of your life where you have sinned. You've done things wrong. You've been very openly rebellious. Your sins are obvious. You're always sinning. Every human being is. But at this time in that lost person's life, their sinning is obvious. And they have to go to bed every night knowing, according to their belief system, that because those sins are there, that they would not be going to be with the Lord if they died during that night. That's the wrestling that they have to go through their whole life. There's no peace, there's no true joy, there's no rest in Christ because they're always wondering, am I doing enough? Have I reached that point of earning my salvation? The Mormon religion especially is very sinister and subtle in that, in claiming that uh, salvation is by grace after all you can do. Well, how much, is there like a measuring stick so you know that you've done enough? What does that mean? That really tortures people, you see? Think about spending a life like that. It's horrifying. What I hope we take away from this message today is that we need God's grace for salvation and also continued grace for sanctification. Much focus is placed on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as it should be. But we must also remember that sanctification and the perseverance of the saints are by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. Just as a message of the gospel is the power of God for salvation, the gospel also, the gospel is also the power of God for the sustaining grace that keeps us and preserves us unto the eternal hope of glory that we are promised in Jesus Christ. What I'm trying to, to get across there is, it's so common in the modern church to for someone to get excited about something they've heard, say a sinner's prayer and be told that they're now a Christian and then just continue on in life as they, as they normally have, thinking that, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm set, when I die, I'm going to heaven. And they live according to the world from that point onward. Or for even people that are truly saved to wander from the faith because they don't realize the importance of the gospel in their life from that point onward. Because from the point, from the moment you become a believer, Satan is going to try to do everything he can to corrupt the gospel message that you're hearing, to corrupt the gospel message that you're meditating on, and to corrupt the gospel message that you're sharing with others. Because that's his goal is to corrupt that gospel message and take and to try to strip away the power of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the point I'm trying to make is. We need God's grace to bring us to the cross, and then we need his grace 
in our walk with Christ from that point onward to keep us on the narrow path. And this is where Peter was having an issue and Paul was helping him to correct it. To avoid hypocrisy as we grow and mature in the Lord, we must pray for the grace to shine the light of truth into the darker corners of our character, praying for the courage to express, confess, and repent of the sinful issues that are difficult for us, the sins that subtly try to trip us up and lead us into hypocrisy. We can't do this on our own or by our own power. This work is done through prayer by the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have to continually be searching ourselves. And it's interesting to go back over your history as a Christian. And if you look at the times where you've really slipped up, when you've really left the path, quite often the same issues will arise or you'll see the same character fault that caused that transgression. So you know that's what you have to pray about. That's what you have to address. That's what you have to pray for God's grace for so that you can overcome it and have victory over that thing that's causing you to, to look away from Christ. And that's all I have for today, you guys. And I hope that makes some sense. There was much in this portion of scripture that I, I could have gone into. There's a lot of material that I've really been fascinated to study from the book of Galatians. But I really wanted to just make that point. We need God's grace to bring us to the cross, but then we need his grace to continue as we walk with the Lord once we're brought to Calvary so that we stay on the narrow path. And especially in the time and the age in which we live, that's very important because there is so much false information being thrown at us. There's, we live in a society that just is full of lies and sinister evil all around us. But it doesn't have to be a burden or a drag for us. We have God's word in scripture. We just need to prayerfully study it and it will arm us to not make errors like we see Peter made here. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would strengthen us, that you would uh, bless each of, each of us with maturity, a greater understanding of you, that you would bless us with wisdom, knowledge uh, of your word, and that you would enable us to have a supernatural ability to stand against uh, the attacks of this world, the lies of this world, the evil that surrounds us, and that we would just shine with your light. Please open doors of opportunity for the gospel as we go forward this week. And may your name be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if, if you guys get a chance, please visit elephantwalk.net. As I said last week, we've got some new products that I'm really excited about. We're starting to produce products here in America, as well as the stuff that we're importing from Kenya um, uh, to help the business as well. So I'm real excited about that. And those new products should start going online, possibly this coming week, if things continue to go well. Uh, so please visit elephantwalk.net. If you decide you'd like to purchase something, you can get a discount by just typing the way, all lowercase, uh, no spaces between the words, and you receive 10% off. You can find us on the web at the way, the letter R122.org. You can subscribe to the podcast by going to christianpodcastcommunity.org. Just search for The Way Radio in the search field. You can find us on Rumble at the way R122, just searching for that. And please consider supporting the ministry. Uh, we need all the help we can get. Uh, times are difficult, I believe, for all ministries. Um, I'm waiting for the restrictions 
uh, in traveling to Kenya to be lifted. I think they will be before too long because countries all over the world are gradually uh, just lifting all COVID restrictions. They've realized the huge mistakes that they've made and the damage that's being caused by them. And they are lifting those. And I think Kenya will do so as well. Uh, so we just pray that happens, but we definitely need support to be able to continue the work we're doing there. Uh, we're still sending sermons constantly and arming those people with the gospel and the word of God. But I love going there with my feet on the ground, and I'm excited to get back and work with Pastor Patrick in um, uh, the work of his church and getting the schools set up there. So please consider helping us. And you can do so by just going to the way r122.org and visit the donate page. All right. Thanks so much, you guys. We will be back here, God willing, same time, same place, next Sunday. God bless.